World War COVID. From Weapon World to Peace World. Learner, begin. Weapon Patho History 2. There is a direct correlation between military terror and child abuse. The more warlike the people, the worse their children are treated. Musashi, Shi Huang Ti, Alexander, Romulus, and Remus, Genghis Khan, Shaka Zulu, Frederick the Great, Stalin, Hitler. Great warlords grew up as abused children. Imagine the hell's common children must have endured if their princes were so afflicted. Picture the horrors today's infants must endure, the tender progeny of history's deadliest weapon states. A population that undergoes worsening military stress throws off more and more abused children whose tragic gestations and pathetic childhood set them up for the next paroxysm of perpetual world war. Famine and terror-induced orphans from prior wars grew up to staff secret police agencies and become fanatical guardians of a merciless state, a point George Orwell made in Animal Farm. Cambodia, AIDS-riddled Africa, and entire nations elsewhere fester in like manner, as we sit here chatting about this serenely. Since the beginning of historical time, child soldiers have saddened and terrorized us. There is no greater terror than running into a roadblock manned by automatic draped children who are high and bored. Modern fire harms may promote them to the front rank of modern killers, but after all, young David retained his lethal sling. Like suicidal imbeciles, we are raising the next bumper crop of terrorists spent on snuffing us out along with the whole world. If we had simply taken care of them and nurtured them properly as innocent children, we could have secured a much better harvest than their grapes of wrath. Soon, the means to plague entire cities and regions will replace the puny AK and suicide bombs they brandish today. They will be more than willing to use them and fully equipped to do so, thanks to our oh-so-clever weapon technologies and trendy apathy as to their fate, the ultimate outcome are weapon indoctrination reserves for us. Military academies and English public schools, private boarding schools in no way limited to England, mass-produce weapon technicians. Harry Potter fantasies aside, public schools on the British pattern impose a slavish, authoritarian environment. Emerging from them, cunning battle elites may obtain crude but certified training that opens many doors to power. First year, plebe, cadets at West Point were interviewed about their politics. Four years later, the handful of cadets that had called themselves liberal, in the old, progressive sense, had been washed out, extra-familial hyperdiscipline at work. Republican presidential administrations may send the military into harm's way for no reason or a dishonest one, abuse them there with corrupt practices and bad intent, and neglect them scandalously once they come home. Democrats may secure veterans' honorable return home and see to their needs somewhat better thereafter. Most military people will remain staunchly Republican in any case. Note that the most ardent defenders of capitalism are career military people who practice a pure form of communism within their own ranks, complete with universal health care, strict promotion by merit rather than inheritance, subsidized or free housing, clothing, and food. The laissez-faire capitalism they adore would fail in their fishbowl environment. Also noteworthy, senior military brass, certified communists all, are the first practitioners of coordinated capitalism in a totalitarian, ex-collectivist state that is caving in. Note also that reactionaries tend to obsess over threats mostly fictitious and often hallucinatory, electoral fraud by the other side, organized civil unrest. They dismiss really dangerous ones, COVID, global warming, that their opponents recognize right away. While progressives claim they address their problems with reason and science, the reactionaries' routine solution in the end is violence. In practice, progressives ignore their problems until it is too late to solve them quick and cheap, and reactionaries compound theirs until they finally decide to fight like a bar full of Wild West movie drunks. 
political extremism and perhaps even conservatism may reflect human stresses endured during childhood, adolescence, and even past lives, see the reactionary as ex-carnivore. Over generations, criminality and militarism have reinforced each other through the systematic abuse of children. Psychic repression during pubescence may be most telling, like the social drawbacks of short stature as against the advantages of being tall. Charismatic imperialists were usually humans of excellent disposition, burdened, however, with a thorny childhood. The better most children are treated, the more peaceful, anti-violent, and cooperative their grown-up societies become, perhaps to the point of anti-competitive mediocrity, and the faster their psyches crumble when confronted by civilized warfare. The main weakness of primal, so-called primitive, societies is the routine affection with which their young are raised. Such tender youths don't stand a chance against bands of ruthless strangers systematically abused as children, who select the most abusive among them as leaders, see the Spanish heroes of the conquest of South America. Only after several tribal generations have been abused and massacred in this manner, only then will ex-primal tribes begin to mistreat their own children, from a desperate, subconscious need for collective security. Previously unheard of spouse and child abuse, organized criminal abuse and drug-slash-alcohol abuse emerge, as well as a steady stream of cold-blooded super-warriors. The tribal heart of peace world has been ripped out. Let's grow a new one. Lax child care satisfies a wholesale requirement for military killers. During the pressure cooker socialization of school and boot camp, children fortunate enough to have been well-raised get re-educated by young bullies and petty adult tyrants. Taught to imitate the worst role models, many of them spin off into arrogance, ignorance, and aggression. Some of the brightest young minds nurse this abuse into adulthood and achieve incredible wealth and power by fair means or foul. Most others settle for petty delinquency, jail, the military or some other path to anonymous mediocrity. Occasionally, prehistoric population densities thickened beyond sustainable limits, especially on the steppes of Asia, seat of the most warlike tribes in history. Population controls, notably infanticide and protracted nursing, as well as limitless new land, a ready escape hatch for wise underdogs, kept most primal populations below densities so irritating they triggered genocide. If not, family-based, semi-static tribes confronted equivalent adversaries. Under those aberrant conditions, elaborate battlefield rituals evolved to limit martial violence. Primal battlefields offered board bucks, Celtic, African, Native American or any other, the same logic applied, a symbolic stage upon which to display their manly heroism and martial talents. For example, counting coup, being the first to tap an enemy, brought more honor than killing anyone. Harming noncombatants brought disgrace. The ritual suicide of noncombatants became epic myths, whether among Amer Indian tribes or Roman victors, Masada, but not among us today. The first death or mutilation usually drew ritual combat to a close. Since television did not yet exist to bathe them in shahdistic brutality, they sometimes tortured prisoners as an indoor sport. Time and again, they passed prisoners of war through brutal hazing initiations and adopted the most stoical survivors into their tribe to make up for their losses. Genocide was rarely invoked except in extreme cases of overpopulation and resource depletion. Long before, a conspiracy of wise women, shamans, and druids brought this kind of conflict to a halt on the following basis, whoever permits this to continue now will serve as victim later on. Nowadays, no one is authorized to carry out this crucial task. We contemporaries consider genocide a sad necessity. In order to field the most battalions, our societies boost birth rates beyond overpopulation red lines, and industrial production beyond ecological common sense. Higher body counts among foreigners turn out to be a mythical boon, 
men, women, and children, killed indiscriminately. The economic collapse of some foreign country just reduces the tally of global pollution, at least for a while. Counting coup has become irrelevant. Heroic martial individualism is forbidden in military training, yet still highlighted in mass entertainment, Rambo. Today's omerta, code of silence, holds equal sway in public and private discourse. Careless parents and school guardians teach children the same basic lesson, learn to live without protection from above. Your tormentor is not necessarily your worst problem, but the next higher level of authority, just as likely to punish you as your aggressor because it is stupidly lazy and places its convenience above justice. This sorry habit, too, comes from the disinfo politics of weapon mentality. No one is accountable. Rewards for wrongdoers exceed their punishment and everyone winds up worsening the damage and ignoring it. We pay for this public indifference with a flood of unconfirmed massacres, unforeseen disasters, and unintended consequences whose profiteers are never held accountable. How convenient for them, this customary, lazy stupidity. Imagine the opposite outcome for those of us sharp and diligent enough in our pursuit of justice. Once the routine of evil dishonors the law, by confirming the corruption and or incompetence of orthodox leadership, personal respect and honor take over, shifting us away from harmony and justice. Civilized people find no social grace in the champions of such respect and honor. On the contrary, we reject them. After all, their high status feeds on raw terror induced by acts of bloody revenge. Reactionaries admire such people. Some abused children turned adults mistreat their own kids in turn and justify this reign of terror as obedience training. There is just such a scene in the Red Dawn movie. A gulagged and broken father, from behind his barbed wire, sends his son off to fight the oppressor, this is why I was so hard on you. It is too late for me now. But you, go out there and avenge me. Very dramatic and frequent for mankind. The heroes of this movie could just as well have been black Africans, Orientals, or Muslims from South Asia or the Middle East, and the bad guys, Western corporate mercenary aggressors. That would have been a more customary scenario. The only excuse. Hurt them over there, so they won't hurt us at home. Even though, of course, it happens at home all the time, at the hands of criminal neighbors if not military foreigners. The weapon dynamic never changes. Now dominant armies evolved because their soldiers were defeated, adapted to defeat and overcame it. Defeated nations develop victorious armies. Strategic victory and defeat are no more significant than the reverse sides of the coin I just spun across my desk. Initially unthinkable, then scandalous, then discouraged, then merely unfashionable, public banditry, lynchings, duels, and clan feuds become honored institutions. Multiplied and thereby trivialized, casualties assume the function of a scorecard. A man's worth is based on the scars he bears and the number of people he's hurt. For millennia, we've achieved little else. Organized evil becomes a gold rush. This pattern has held true for millennia in ancient China, in medieval Europe, in the antebellum south and in today's ghettos. Race, income, and other prejudices, that we obsess over, are secondary considerations if not irrelevant. The only necessities are overpopulation, subemployment, abused children, and a vacuum of political legitimacy. Any deviation from this norm reduces the number of willing killers a society may call upon in times of war. What results from this cutback is military devastation. Traumatized survivors then resume their pattern of abuse. This pattern of abuse, abuse relaxed, assault, abuse resumed, renders considerations of moralistic right and wrong irrelevant, especially when posed out of context. It is only on peace world that we could foster better moral values. Unfortunately, 
morally bankrupt authorities reject peace management, as do the savage proto-elites that arise to challenge them. Whether incumbent or revolutionary, weapon mentors invoke customary weapon myths. Comment. Mark Mulligan at Comcast.net